Simmons, it's Chris Ryan calling. Are you there, Alex? I am here, Chris, because this is where I need to be this morning. Oh, and I do, day. too. This is going to be kind of the afternoon special of Tell the Damn Story, a very special episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, special uh, in many ways. Us, <laughs> you know, uh, full disclosure to those who are listening, both of us had planned a different conversation for uh, today, and both of us woke up ready for this much more challenging conversation. Um, uh, we have been suggesting it. It's been on the list of op- possible episodes for a while, but today is the day. Uh, and the weather, the weather seems to be with us on this. Sorry? The weather seems to be with us on this, because the if you look out the window... Today on this. Yes. Creativity and depression, a cruel illness... Or part of the creative process today <laughs> on Tell the Damn Story. Yes, and here we are. Here we are. So, uh, Chris, I, and, and I, again, actually, I'll speak to the audience, uh, but I'm talking to Chris, too. Um, yeah, as Chris said, we, we I didn't know we both woke up that way, but I know, you know, initially this morning I woke up and I went, eh, eh, you know, to talk about what we'd planned to talk about was going to be difficult because I wasn't feeling it. Um, and then it became, well, what are you feeling? So I gave myself some time to, you know, people can call it meditate or whatever, but I gave myself some introspection time, you know, to listen to me and just to be quiet and hear the voices in my head and say, what's going on? And I, you know, came out of that, that time period with, yeah, you're really sort of down <laughs> right now, you know, you got some stuff going on in your head that's not inspirational, that's not this, it's not that upbeat and all that. And... um this is not the first time. I mean, you know, over the years, uh, I've I've been in this room before. And, you know, Chris and I have talked about it, as he said. We've talked about this. It's been a topic on the list. Um, I have uh, honestly suggested it the last couple of times because it's been going an, an ongoing struggle for, uh, for a while now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's real. You know, it's, you know, uh, uh, people talk about Facebook and Instagram and all that and how... Everybody on there, for many people anyway, everybody on there seems to be having a great life. They're traveling, they're in love, they're, they're, they're buying things, they're making you know, goo-gads of money or goo-gobs of money. Uh, all, the th- all the things in life are going well and look great. Uh, and you know, I, we have to remind you that that's, that's PR. <laughs> you know, some, of it may, yeah, some of it may be peaks at the good moments in someone's life, and that's fine. That's cool. You know, you got a new niece, or you bought something, or you are on your first vacation in nine years. But, you know. I, I, I'll mention somebody, uh, a, a fellow writer, fellow mm-hmm. traveler in creativity, a guy named John Roach. Uh, grew up in the, near the neighborhood where, uh, adjacent neighborhood, and um, we had similar jobs. 20s and all that sort of stuff. He's the author of Bronx Bound, which is a great crime novel. And uh, he is both inspirational uh, and very honest about his wrestling with uh, depression, creative or otherwise. And uh, there are times when I read his stuff and what he says about that, and, uh, you know, it gives me heart. So it's appropriate to point out if we're talking about Facebook and how everybody seems to be having a great time, once in a while you get a truth teller. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, credit to him and his bravery on that. I'd love to, maybe we try and get him on the show one time. That would be so great. Hey. He's a busy guy, but maybe we can get him. No harm in asking. All they can say yeah, is yeah. yes or no. <laughs> yeah. uh, but let's talk about uh, depression in the creative process. So everybody, get your popcorn and candy. It's yeah. going to be a thrilling ride. <laughs> really, grab the kids, sit on the rug. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, uh, talk about was, uh, well, maybe we'll start with you. What uh, What is hitting you uh, recently that you would term creative depression? Where is it coming from? How do you? What's, what's it feel like? What does? How does it manifest? Well, I, I guess in order to answer that as honestly as I can, I have to lay a little bit of groundwork. Um, I believe that you can have numerous successes in pursuing your art, your creative arts, whatever it may be, and have one thing 
that you want blow up or, or fall down on its face, and you can forget everything good that you've ever accomplished. And I've experienced this, and I know others who have as well. So, you know, despite all the wonderful things that have gone on in my life that I have accomplished, and despite the fact that, you know, currently I'm working on something that I'm, I'm very happy about, um, there are some, some things that haven't happened. And, you know, if I look at a scale measuring, you know, the good to the, 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 the not so good, I think the good has more weight. But <laughs> for whatever reason, the not so good is, is preying on my mind. And so there's, um, there's a project. It only which, takes one shot, isn't it? it right, only takes yeah. One thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so much easier not for human beings game. to hold on to the negative. It just seems, you know, I think you have to really be mindful uh, to avoid living in the yeah, but world, you know. But anyway, so there's this one project that I'm working on that's very dear to me. I won't name it right now because the conversation is not going to be about that. But there's this one project that's very precious to me, and I'm working on it. And I have to work on it with a few other people. And uh, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the direction that it's, it seems to be going in. I'm concerned about their perception of, of this product, this, this creative project of mine. And I'm particularly concerned because I think often we create something, we're passionate about it, and we live with it. And I'm talking genuinely, we work on it, we, we grow it, we build it, we form it, we've lived with it, and we know it. We know it the way you know, you know, somebody who's 25 and has great parents have known their parents for 25 years. We know them, okay? So we know this thing, and then we get involved with other folks who say, no, we know it. You don't really know it. We know what's, what's best. And it's, it's like, do I have to deal with that? So in this particular case, the insecurity is playing on my mind and the time factor is playing on my mind i'm aware of how the business <clears throat> pardon me the business is moving right now things are moving rapidly i'm concerned that this project won't get its its time in the sun and i'm also aware of the fact that i'm not 20 anymore and do i have time for this concern this possible misdirection or should, should I be more aggressive about what I feel is absolutely the right way to go? Because I'm not sure of, again, you know, how much more breathing time I have on the planet. So those things sort of creep in there and they mess with, you know, your, your left brain, right brain. It messes with it because, you know, one part is passion. One part is possibly uh, sensibility, maybe, or patience or, you know, a more business aptitude mindset. I'm not really no. sure, but that's where that's one of the things that's that's kicking me right now. Well, let's look at um, let's look at each one separately. I want to talk about um, age. You know, they're not young enough anymore. There's a um, an a age limit. You know, a sell by date that we're living with. <laughs> yes, there's a shelf life. Yes. Yeah, shelf life. Um, last year, I was at, um, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Murder, Inc., uh, and one of the many authors that I wrote. Uh, that you wrote or me. read? Uh, I interviewed, excuse me. Oh, oh okay. Um, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> spoke to me off microphone, you know, and he was uh, offering to be a little helpful with me as far as uh, getting published and all that sort of stuff. And he's, he said, listen, and he was uh, about my age, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, doesn't really make a difference. And he says, listen, the publishing industry is not looking for me and you. Uh, he was a, a Latino man of a certain age. <laughs> and uh, he says, they're not looking for us. They're, they're looking for uh, young, uh, blonde, 20-somethings. Uh, preferably female, with a master's degree from Columbia or NYU. And he was trying to be helpful, but it was, uh, you know, it was like a kick in the chest, you know. Mm. Um, it was the same thing that I experienced with my journalism career. You know, I didn't have Columbia. I didn't have NYU. Um, Northwestern would have helped, too. And... Um, I could get to a certain level, and 
I got one offer from a major daily newspaper in New York City that I won't name. Um, someone spoke on my behalf, and he knew me personally. knew that my mother was Spanish. So part of this guy's sell to this major daily newspaper was, you know, he's part Spanish. You've met me. You've known me for how many years? 30, I think. Uh, uh, well, more than that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, you predate my wife, and we're, uh, we're almost, uh, almost married 33 years. So um, how Spanish do I seem to you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just put I mean, it this way. Sure. Technically, my mother's last name was Rodriguez, and so that makes it what it is. But I'm sorry, you're more Jimmy Cagney, and that's an age thing. You're more Jimmy Cagney than you will ever be, uh, Chico and the Man. I'm sorry. And I, I don't happen. deny it. And both of those references were really old, but I'll leave that as it is. Yes, that's fine um, for me. Yeah. So here's what the offer was. The offer came back. We'll hire him if he hyphenates his name. So they would hire Christopher Rodriguez Ryan. That's who they would hire. And, you know, the other offer was to send me out to Kansas City for five to ten years and let me work my way back, which, mm. you know, uh, if I wasn't married, I would have done that. But, you know, timing and all that sort of stuff. Um, so when this guy says to me, you know, and there I am with 10, 12 books at the time, he says, publishing's not looking for you uh, and not looking for me. It's well, That's depressing. That's age. Uh, but you and I, since we're talking about creative depression, we have to acknowledge that as much as we may have read about Dr. Doom's time machine or H.G. <laughs> Wells' time machine, it doesn't exist. We can't, you know, we can't turn back the clock. I'm not one to dye my hair. Oh, yeah, you know, same here. Um, or any of that stuff. I don't put um, all that facial cream on and stuff. I don't, I don't. I don't follow the latest clothing trends. And maybe you know, in my depressive state, I use all that against myself. You know, you're not you're not doing what it takes to make yourself marketable. I don't know. You that that rouge you've been using on your lips looks pretty good. Well, listen, you. No <laughs> one uses rouge on their lips. <laughs> Didn't catch you off guard there, do, did I? They would say, wow, look at this mental patient. Didn't catch you off guard there. Okay, okay. I tried, I tried. But no, you're but, right, you're right, you're right. Well, how do you deal with that? How do you get past that back to the center of it all, which is, you know, writing the story? Well, and, one of the things, you know, one, one of the things for me, and I, I suspect that you do it too, but one of the things for me is I, I do embrace my age. You know, trying to deny your age means that you didn't live. Trying to deny the things you've experienced, the things that you've gotten through, gotten over, you screwed up on, that's who you are. I mean, the moment you start trying to turn the clock back and pretend right. that it didn't happen, you're denying whole parts of your experience, which, as I've told my students a thousand times, is a part of your creative juice. That's your yeah. fuel. Who I you forget. know, where you've been, what you've seen, what you feel is a part of what you draw on. To create. Yes, I forget the person who said it. It was an author or publisher who said, uh, no one should be able to uh, be allowed to publish a novel or even write a novel until they're at least 40 because they haven't lived. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of the ways that if, you know, people out there get uh, creatively, creatively depressed about their age, you turn it around. Use it. <laughs> Look how much more experience... I'm bringing to the writing, you know, and use it. I don't think you should write all about old people. You can write about a 20-something. You can write about, you know, a Martian. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. But it's the perspective, that, the hard-won perspective of going through every single day of your age and, you know, right or wrong, whether small or, you know, big and profound, we learn every day. So... I'd like That's to add something to that when you finish. I'm sorry? No, I said I just want to add something to that when you finish. Yeah, it's, it's one of the ways to turn around that element of creative depression. How would you do it? Well, I think, A, what you said, yes. Uh, another uh, choice on the menu 
is to write what you feel at that time. You know, a lot of us do writing exercises or exorcisms. Where you want to look at it, because um, it doesn't mean that when you sit down to write, whether it's at a computer or a pad and pen, that you have to write your project if you're feeling, you know, stuck, if you're feeling sucked into the mire, if, if you're drowning. You can write about what you're feeling at that time. You can try and get it out by putting it out on paper or on the screen and, and acknowledging it. Um, I think some of the um, meditative trainings and, and some of the, the monks and, and, and Zen people who put out there, they, they talk about embracing your anger, taking care of your anger, taking care of your, your frustration by embracing it, not running from it, acknowledging it. So in acknowledging it as, uh, as a writing exercise, you can put it down as you. You're just letting thoughts flow. It's just it. Or you can put it down as if it's another character expressing these things. And if you put it down either way, that way, you can certainly use it later for some character. I mean, because people feel. You know, and, and, and if you want to even go beyond that, I mean, I've done some work with cartoon dogs and things like that. Um, they have, you know, within the storyline, you've got them having human emotions. So maybe what you're writing down on that day when you're feeling like garbage, you can turn around and use later as yeah. as a true voice to to come from a character that you're working on in a particular story or assignment. Uh, you inspire me to share something that I experienced yesterday. Oh, okay. Uh, my wife and I went down to the Morgan Library in New York City to look at uh, the Tolkien exhibit. Ah, yes. And it was a um, very compact exhibit. It was really one room with a couple of dividers and you went around. But what was there <laughs> were uh, things that he kept, you know, part of his process. And what we saw were uh, watercolor paintings, mm. pen and ink, uh, colored pencil, uh, drawings. There was uh, one set of them that were colored or doodled over the newspaper, like on top of the onto the newspaper. Mm -hmm. You know, there uh, one doodly did, and it looked like a stained glass window, right? And what has that got to do with writing? Correct. But hold on for a minute. And he drew it right over, um, <laughs> right over a headline that said. Um, Boy six sits on his sister's head or something like that. <laughs> so that the kid got in trouble for hurting his sister. Something was such a small, innocuous piece of news. Hopefully he didn't severely damage the, the, the girl. But I couldn't tell because of the doodle. Mm. Um, but then I realized in looking at these stained glass, elaborate doodles that they were, you know, what he described in the elven uh, palaces or houses you know, and the king's houses, they were all part of the rich tapestry mm -hmm. that became the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And there were notes, notes, there were notebook pages, there was, and a lot of it was written in his perfect school handwriting. Right? Oh, yes, because that was when handwriting mattered. It was when handwriting mattered, and, and he was, and a lot of it was written on Oxford uh, notebooks. Mm. Um because he was a student there, but then he became a professor, and they were the ones that you would hand out the notebooks. Remember, you'd hand out the note, the little blue notebooks, and that's what people wrote their essays on for the mm -hmm. test, and they handed them in. So he would have the extras, and he would draw on it, or he'd write during the tests or whatever. Some of it was in handwriting. and Some of it was in what can only be described as calligraphy. But most amazingly, another good chunk of it was in Elvish. He had, I, and I'm using the wrong term, Tolkien fans will correct me, because he had a specific name for that language, but it was his own alphabet, his own way of writing those letters, which was different than his regular handwriting and different than calligraphy. And then as we went through, we would see notebook pages that he had written some chunks of scenes on. And there you would recognize the um, the speech given um, uh, 
today is a shield day, a sword day, you know, and that kind of, and it's right there in his own handwriting, mm. you know, and doodles mm. around the page, and then there's that stuff, and then there was the, the poem about the rings, you know, nine ring rings for this people, and nine rings for men and six rings for the elves and all that sort of stuff. And then one ring uh, uh, to bind them and in the darkness hide them or whatever the line was. Um, and then copied over in the elvish in red the way it appears not only in the book but on screen so many years later after Universe he died. Building. There was a doodle or an illustration of the desolation of smog that he had done. Mm. Mountain of gold and treasures and jewels and smog is is draped all around it and in the foreground bowing is Bilbo. That became an entire chapter of The Hobbit. And then that became an entire scene in the film. And it follows exactly what this one drawing was. So whatever your output is, it's always applicable to the creative process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if you're writing, this is bullshit, I hate this. That's one of the rare times we curse on Tell a Damn Story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mothers sorry, and fathers but, coming you know, to your children's in your rage, for that split you second. Out of rage, yeah. you'll see where that can be reapplied perhaps, or drive you to the next idea. So uh, I want to go to almost a part B of the age situation. Uh, you talked about time, you know, and I've, I've, I've seen so many uh, artists of a certain age pick up speed rather than slow down, mm. you know, because um, they can hear the clock ticking. You, know? <laughs> right? you and I are feeling that a little bit. Um, Let's talk about that. Well, you know, how can, I mean, I'm, how can that be depressing first, and then how do you, how does it turn around? How do you turn around that depression? Well, I think again, what what is what is for me? I, I'll speak for me. Um, what does time mean to me at this point? You know, what does it mean to be the age I am, and and what do I have to look forward to, and what haven't I accomplished, and do I have enough time? to do any of it or one of those things. You know, that's, that's a part of the, the, the whirling mate, um, uh, maelstrom that, 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 that sort of develops is you get caught in this swirl, this whirlpool, if you will, just envision uh, the ocean and a whirlpool. You get caught in this because you, you want to be able to savor the time. You want to be able to savor the work that you're trying to create because when you start rushing through things, you make even more mistakes you leave out things, and, I, and, and both you and I, over the years, have looked at things we wrote prior and went, geez, if I'd only, or I didn't catch that, I didn't even see, or such and such. So I know the part of me that is better trained because of the time I've spent, the years I've spent doing what I do, knows better intellectually. I know this, you know, in terms of wanting quality to my work. I know, slow down, do it right, do the research, do the edit, blah, blah, blah. But then the desperation, the fear of not getting it done, not being able to get it done, starts screaming. And part of what I have to remind myself, and sometimes it takes minutes and sometimes it takes a whole day, maybe two, mm-hmm. is that's fear. Fear is only useful to me in one or two situations. In all other situations, it does not serve me. Subsequently, stop. What am I afraid of? What does that feel like? What does that look like? Put it in its proper place. Recognize it for what it is. Put it in its proper place. If I'm afraid that I'm not going to write something or create something that's good enough, slow down and figure out what will make it good enough. What parts might be missing? Oh, okay. Let me stop and think about that. Yeah, what am I... And for me, it's always been, even as a kid, if I can see the thing that's scaring me, I'm not as fearful. Sometimes I'm not afraid at all. You know, so, you know, you're afraid of the dark because you don't know what's in the dark. You turn on the light. If you don't have a bright overhead light, you grab the flashlight. 
but you need to see the thing you're up against. Now, sometimes when you finally face it, it's like, holy, you know, but in, in reality, in terms of the reality we're dealing with, I need to see, I need to know or understand as best I can what I'm dealing with. And is that fear legitimate or is that my fear of not being good enough to pull it off? That's a whole nother fear. So I'm going to address that three ways. You're starting to sound like Dr. Phil. (laughs) This is where tell a damn story ends. That's it. You've gone gone too far this time. (laughs) What what are you going to say, Mr. Ryan? (laughs) Um, one, what, one of the things you're talking about there is facing the editor, right? Mm. We all the inner have, editor. Yeah, you're right. Right. We all have that inner editor. When I'm trying to explain it to high school students, I say, mine seems to be sitting on my left shoulder mm-hmm. and they look at me like I'm crazy. I was like, it's, it's an, you know, it's a metaphor, relax, but, but it's that voice that says you suck. This sucks. This is not what you should be writing. You should be writing something else and all that sort of stuff. And facing it and confronting it and saying, you know, even if you say it consciously out loud or in your, you know, in your head, duly noted, <laughs> we'll address it later. Yeah. It's, it, it helps, right? Um, then there's the let it suck philosophy about, you Wasn't know, you have Beatles your writing song? time. You're going to write. And if you have the doubt, okay, I'll rip it apart later, but I'm going to keep writing right now. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I have a pad and pen, and, and I'll, if there's a particular problem, I'll write it down, and then I can keep writing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that writing time, you can look at those questions, or look at those, and, and, you know, you'll remember what you wrote, and then go and do what Chuck Dixon, remember Chuck Dixon? Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. very well, yeah. Chuck Dixon, Dixon one answer, one uh, uh, interview. Uh, they asked him how many hours he writes. He says, I'm always writing. He says, but I'm not always not always coming out of my fingers. He says, sometimes I'm mowing the lawn or, or walking or painting a room or whatever I'm doing, but I'm working on the problems of that story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. First draft is getting the story out. Mm-hmm. Second draft is fixing all the things that's wrong with that first draft. But we can't get hung up on the word wrong. You didn't make a mistake. It doesn't mean you suck. It means you're at that part of the process. Mm-hmm. Right? So first is to get it out and have it exist. That's your first draft goal. And that's how you can see it. You can right. look at it. Yes. Right. And, you know, like children, when, when, you know, when the pregnancy is occurring, right, you care and you take care of that. And then there's that very painful birthing process, right, <laughs> which we as guys stand around useful, uselessly for. Um, and then there's the process, the never-ending process of nurturing those lives along. And there can be glorious times and there can be painful times. And eventually you see those individuals beginning to stand on their own, not as kids, but as an adult that has their own mindset and that has their own view on things. And you see they have a vision on how they're going to live their life, whether it's what Your I want vision, or right. not. Yeah. You yeah. recognize it for what it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, Billy Joel once said that, you know, his songs, anyone's songs, go out and have a life of their own. And some you're very proud of, and some you're like, ah, you know, I wish that had gone a different way, but you love them all, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the same thing here. I'm I've rewritten uh, Gold Braith, with the, which is a St. Patrick's adventure, St. Patrick's Day adventure for uh, Gunner and Mal- Mallory. The Sin City and, uh, series, I'm, folks. In case you're not up to date. There you go. Thank you. And uh, I put it out a couple of years ago, and then I put it again this St. Patrick's Day. And uh, I want to get his last name. Hold on. And by the way, I'll correct myself. Not Sin City. That's Frank Miller. It's City of Sin, City of Woe, and City of... Uh, There's City of Sin, City of Woe, City of Pain, and upcoming City of Love. So it's a city series. I know there's four titles there, but one is kind of... (laughs) It's like Baker's Dozen. There you go, yes. (laughs) So L.A. DiPaolo, 
author I met last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he sent me a list of typos and things that were in there. And then uh, he said, I'd love to see the tension drawn out a little more at the end. So because this is a free story, I rewrote it. And the idea was to publish it again on my blog and say, hey, uh, you saw the other version. Here's the corrected version. That's uh, the third version of it now. And it's part of the creative process. Sometimes you do this. I'm just doing it with this story publicly. However, in that away from the typewriter, away from the writing room or writing space time, uh, there's a line that has bugged me. Oh. And it's a line that Gunner delivers, and it's not a Gunner line. It's not in his voice. He wouldn't say that. Um, and I think I know what he would say. And, uh, you know, this has been while driving to work, while taking a shower, while, you know, making the bed. That's part of the writing process, too. Mm -hmm. And when you get depressed, all of this is coming back to time. When you get depressed and say, I'm running out of time. Look how you're using all the time you can. You, what more can you ask of yourself? You have to be fair to yourself. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's a good phrase right there, being fair to yourself, being true to yourself, being kind to yourself, nurturing yourself. Because, again, as, as we said towards the beginning of this, it's easier for a human being to hold on to the negative than the positive. We, we for some odd reason, as a society, we, we will remember... The slightest little negative thing that someone said to us when we were 10 years old as we stand there accepting a Pulitzer. And so part of it is, is okay, so I screwed up. Okay, you know, I'll fix it, like you said. Or, you know, that doesn't work. Okay, so how can I... It's, it's, it's looking for resolution to the thing rather than blame. You know, it's it's accepting like, you know, several of the things I've done with Blackjack over the years um, that I've written. Now, I, I created the, the character for, for, for crying out loud. And um, I'll look back on certain things. And go, Gee, I could have done that. Better. You know? um, or, you know, there are things that I've learned about his sister. Now, I created his sister right around the same time that I created Aaron. The, mm -hmm. you know, and his sister's name is Mary. You go. All right. And Mary has lived with me, but off to the side for a long time. I kept putting Let's her clarify, in. Let's clarify. This is a character, not a side bay. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she's always, when I'm, when I'm writing Blackjack, even if she's not in the story, she's in my head somewhere because I'm thinking about her as the character, as, as Blackjack, you know, my sister this or whatever. Or I sometimes think, what is she up to while he's doing this? How would she feel about what he's doing? Because part of what holds Aaron together is the fact that back home, he has a family member who he loves and who loves him. It's one of the things that, that he builds his center, his core around. And so there, there's a story, a short story I wrote, where the whole, everything that you read, all of the print, the, the caption boxes and so forth, because uh, this was illustrated, this one, it's Mary's letter to Aaron, uh, while Aaron is going through a particular, uh, he's, he's protecting, and he's sort of caught up in an, an, an assassination attempt, and he's, he's attempting to protect the individual who's the target, but while we're looking at him in action, we're reading what Mary wrote to him, and they do tie together, the two, it, the image and the written words do tie together in a certain way to come to that conclusion at the end of the story, and I could do that because I could hear in my head as I was writing Mary's voice, Mary's personality, Mary's feelings about things and about you know her, her brother and so forth. And those things told me who she was at that moment. Prior to writing that story, I had some ideas about how she might be thinking where she was living in it, but that helped really gel a portion of her character. Now, that was several years ago. That's like 10, 12 years ago I wrote that story. When I started to do this series of stories about Mary recently, because I was tired of not publishing stories about her. I, you know, I, I enjoy writing Blackjack. I really do, folks. Trust me on that. Uh, and I have great hopes that he's going to go even further. But his sister is important to me. She always has been. And so 
And I and by the way, just full transparency, I have no siblings. So someone can go psychologically investigative on that and say, what does that have to hmm, I wonder if one's motivating the other. But anyway, uh, in writing her recently in these stories, I learned things about her that I did not know before. You create a character Never. 15 years ago, and, and you think you know them by the time you sit down to write a, a particular piece about them, and suddenly you discover other things. And then you do research to help you justify what you've come up with to make sure it's not just you know total fantasy and ludicrous. And then when you find, wow, that... That actually does work. That does make sense. That did connect. Then you're wondering, well, what did that come from? Since I've never been a you know, 29-year-old woman, uh, and I think you know some of that is your life experiences, the people you know, the people that inspired you, you know, the things you've read, and that goes into once again time. You, I've I've lived with Blackjack for 20, oh, 28 years now, actually, and Mary almost as long. And if I hadn't, I would have written completely different characters. Or I would have written less of what I was able to put into these stories. So I have to acknowledge that the time was not a waste. That the time has been, you know, it's like it's like a pressure cooker. You know, you're you're preparing a meal, and it takes that time for all the the juices and spices and things to congeal into or to 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 blend into what you hope is going to be a benef- uh, uh, um, a banquet. You know, not, not, not everything is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Sometimes you need to go a little further. Right? Sometimes you do. And, and I and don't like the chunky peanut what, butter in particular. What you're offering here is how to confront the inner editor. Yeah. When he says you're too old or you're running out of time. Well, in a second, all of that is valuable time and it's enriching what we do. Um, you also said be good to yourself. And I want to temper that because... While you're being good to yourself, you have to be careful not to enable yourself. You know, elaborate. Um, you can be feeding the muse by taking in uh, other creative stuff, whether it's reading or watching TV or a movie or going to a museum or play or play, etc. Music, all of that. Mm-hmm. Life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so inspired walking through Manhattan yesterday just seeing the banquet of humanity mm-hmm. it's fantastic um and some of it was i mean the language is fantastic there's forty thousand languages being spoken on the streets of manhattan and some of it is holy crap i walked past this young woman and she's hugging what looked like her father or grandfather and as the goddess and i were mm-hmm. walking past the grandfather looking guy says to the young woman Let's get a hotel room. Oh! <laughs> Completely different take on what I had assumed, and definitely fodder for a story, right? Fodder um, for a story. Yeah, it's like fodder, so, so not we, father. Yes. <laughs> right. So what I mean about using time and balancing time so that we're not enabling ourselves to avoid the writing mm-hmm. is set yourself a schedule that you keep to. I'm going to write at least an hour a day, or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But be honest with yourself. Hardest thing for human beings to be is honest with themselves. This is what my commitment to my writing can be right now, and I'm going to commit to it every day. Now I want to go back back to Tolkien, because he devised this wonderful reward system that I spent the whole time on our trip home from this uh, exhibit yesterday, trying to negotiate with the goddess. So. <laughs> Here's what Tolkien agreed uh, and his wife agreed to. For every hour that he wrote, he would earn a certain amount of kisses from his wife. Mm. And I think that's fantastic and Mm. cute and lovely. Um, And, of course, I started uh, immediately goofing (laughs) around with T about it and, and trying to negotiate and she says, well, how many kisses are you thinking? I said, 100 per hour. And she said, two. And then, you know, <laughs> off it goes. But, <laughs> but, you know, Tolkien teaches us yet again, you know, because look how productive he was. So those kisses were working for him. Yeah, look at um, the, the thickness of what, those books alone tell us how motivated what, he whatever was. Whatever the goal is, you know. Um, an hour of writing earns me two hours of watching uh, my favorite TV show or uh, reading my favorite book 
or what, whatever it is. Do you know what and else that, it offers? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you know what else it offers? What? It takes that voice out of your head that says you didn't. Right, right. That exactly. nagging little clawing voice that says you didn't write today. You didn't do anything today. Mm-hmm. You're not this, you're not that. You know, it removes it. No, excuse me, I did. I paid I paid in my hour. I'm good. And here it is. Here's yeah. the discipline. Here's the hour. Here's the and if you have a a, a set minimum, you can always go over it. You know, like I was teasing T when we agreed to a, a number of kisses. And I was like, all right, I, you're never going to see me for a couple of weeks. And then it's going to be kisses until your lips fall up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to negotiate length of kiss and all that. She was like, stop. <laughs> yeah, you're going to take a little spontaneity out of it, bro. So watch it. <laughs> um, I just, it was just a, a fun way to use that creatively. Um, and um, the idea is to set or reset because some of us have thing goals that fall away mm-hmm. and then oh you beat yourself up for two weeks about how you're not doing that hour, hour a day you promised yourself so then another week goes by when you're not doing that yep. hour a day yep yep you yep. know just like aa every day is a new challenge i'm not going to you know you know, i'm not going to drink today in in our case as uh, WA, Writers Anonymous, <laughs> I am going to write for an hour today, or I'm going to write 15 minutes today, or whatever it is. I tell my it, students uh, at, at the Film Academy, I say 20 minutes minimum. You give yourself 20 minutes a day. You, you can write a sentence, you can write dialogue, you can write a description of a scene, you can, you can write notes in terms of props or costumes, or whatever, but 20 minutes a day dedicated to the script you're trying to finish. Yeah. Minimum. And, and you'll always be moving forward. And uh, embrace that there is no one way. Right. The Tolkien exhibit, there were 15 different things he did to move his creativity forward. Right. And the you kissing know, thing, I like, I like that. I like that. I highly time. recommend the kissing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever works. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, it's, you're, willing, you're willing to suffer you know, writing so that you can, yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, I'm just hoping that guy on the street who was, you know, old, the old geezer hitting up the young girl. I hope he wasn't a writer. Oh, hey, I wrote wow. an hour. Yeah. Let's get a hotel room. Yeah, no, well, no, no, no. Who knows? I might be taking the um, reward yeah. system too far. Yeah, I hear you. you. Know? I hear you. <laughs> there, there was um, there was another thing that we wanted to touch on in terms of you know the the, the things that sort of fuel depression or or help maintain it at times. Um, and two of the things that come come across to me are one of them is the naysayers, you know, the people who, who tell you, not just in your own head, but the people on the on the outside who actually tell you you're never gonna, or yeah. you know, so and so didn't make it, or that's not a real job, or that's not, you know, there's a million people writing, so who do you to think that you can, blah blah blah. And uh, a couple of business people, they were friends of a relative, and we happened to be at a function, and they were fascinated. They were like, "What do you?" do with your summers you don't work during your summers and i said i work hard because i'm a teacher i said i work harder as hard as i work as a teacher i work harder in the summers because i expand my writing time and they looked and they just couldn't couldn't believe it just dismissed it and uh you know painful as that was i had to work past it because they're not walking in my shoes. They there, don't, you know. There are people that you will meet who will say things, you know, and, and sometimes not maliciously or not even in a way that they're not intending to be condescending. But like you said, they cannot wrap their head around that because it is not their world. And I get that. And, you know, for me, for a series of, of years, because I was both an actor and, and a writer, um, it was hard at times because I was not successful financially i was not a celebrity so they had no way to measure whether or not my goal was valid you right. know, you don't have a you don't have a mansion in beverly hills you you're not driving a fancy car you don't have a hit album uh you don't have a major award you know hugo or whatever in terms of your writing so what are you doing and god forbid they found out i had written comic books because oh. now now that's it i might as well have said yeah I, you know i wipe people's butts in the men's room you know i bring them cologne and stuff so ultimately, what you not that that's a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is for me. That's <laughs> yes, not your job. Yeah, that's right? not my job. No, but here's your the thing. Call. You know, again, you had to get to the point 
of saying to yourself and and believing it, not just saying it as a salve on a bullet wound, but believing it. Well, that's that's not what you do. I get it. You know, and and not feel that they've just pulled your heart out and stomped on it. Because it's it's more about understanding that they don't get what you do. That's not you don't do anything. It's they don't understand. And if you can help them understand, great. If you can't, don't bleed over that. You know? Okay. Gotta remember that it's not our job to make every single person understand. Right. And I mean, for instance, I literally understand that there is a, a job working with nuclear fission. I cannot do that job. I don't understand how you begin a job like that. I don't know why you would want a job like that. But that's cool. I get it. That's not my thing. That's your thing. So it's really this, the reverse. The fact that we apply value to non-creative jobs and almost none to creative jobs, unless people are successful, i.e. celebrities or rich, that's a problem the world has has to deal with. You know, And yes, it does fall on us. It is sometimes feeling like a, a landslide. It falls on us. We are not making big money. We are not you know, the, the, the name on everybody's lips. So what value do we have? Well, guess what? You don't have to be the name on everybody's lips. Uh, yeah, uh, you and I went through, and, and this is marketing, folks, but you know, it's creative marketing. As, as entrepreneurial writers and publishers, we have to do both. We have to create the material and then try and promote and distribute and sell the material. So at one point, we were looking at what does it take to be financially successful with the books we're publishing? And one of the realities you, know, you start to look at is, oh, okay, yeah, Barnes & Noble or... Simon and Schuster or Scholastic, they have much higher overhead than we do. And they have to sell hundreds of thousands or millions of whatever in order to cover the rent and whatever else. Literally, literally, if Chris or I had 500 people buying $5 worth of something from us consistently, that's a nice chunk of change going into the bank. Whether it's, it's a portion of our income or all of our income, it's still a nice chunk of change. If you had 15,000 people buying something of yours for a dollar every six months, that's $30,000. You know, So it's like part of us, what do we compare ourselves to? Would I compare myself to Tolkien? No, I would not because what he did is phenomenal and great and I love it and I've read them when I was young, and I loved the movies and all that. But I'm writing something different. I am a different person, and I want to accomplish success for me with my books. Would I like to sell as many as he did? Yeah, that would be nice. Do I have to? No. Well, let me tell you something about that. You know, it took him 12 years from The Hobbit to The Lord of the Rings. And when he turned it in, his publishers were really worried (laughs) <laughs> they were really worried because they had never published a novel that big. And even when they broke it into three parts, they had never published a serialized novel, mm-hmm. you know, in, in three parts. So they they really concerned that it would be rejected. Plus, it was clear that the tone was significantly different than The Hobbit. The Hobbit was a children's book. The Lord of the Rings was clearly an adult book and a much darker book. And they published it seriously fearing complete failure. Mm -hmm. They admitted later that they had no idea what they had on their hands. (laughs) You know, it goes back to, who was it? Was it Robert McKee? No, it was William Goldman. Nobody knows anything. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to just, you know, roll the dice. Get there and keep doing what you believe in. What, what was it? Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. 13 publishing houses turned her down. Yeah. 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 And, and had they been right, okay, so 15 publishing houses might have turned her down and the book never would have seen the light of day. And, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, and then I want to... No, I was just going to say, it, the, the reality is she wrote to the best of her ability. She created something she believed in. She put it out there more than once, and eventually it found its home. 
is a phenomenal success. Yes, she has now gone from poverty to wealth, and she's writing other things. That's all good. But she she did her time. She did her time. She paid her dues. And that's really what a lot of us have to do, whether it takes 30 years or, or two years. And another part of this is being honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've struggled with and that has depressed me is that I haven't, if I'm completely honest with myself, I haven't done that part that you just brought up about J.K. Rowling. I haven't been turned down by 13 publishing houses because mm. I haven't submitted to 13 publishing houses. So uh, yesterday I turned 57 and I was uh, turning, uh, playing around, you know, joking about it, that it was my Heinz ketchup here. Got <laughs> oh, 57 spices, I, yes, okay. Yeah, and then I changed the spelling of ketchup to catch up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is the year I'm going to catch up with the things I have to do to pursue the dreams. So, okay, we're going to submit to numerous uh, agents and numerous publishing houses. Most publishing houses won't look at something that doesn't go through an agent. Okay, that's one set of challenges. There are small, smaller boutique and mid-sized that will. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, Mystery Writers of America is one agency that will give you a list of uh, uh, publishing houses and tell you what they will and will not accept. So do the work submit the material, and there's a great quote I'm going to read you that I have on my shelf. And this is from American America Grandmaster Robert A. Heinlein. You must write. You must finish what you start. You must refrain from rewriting except to editorial order. You must put the work on the market. You must keep the work on the market until it has sold. So uh, the last three sentences... I need to embrace more in this my catch-up year. And that's one of the ways you combat, you combat that creative depression by finding out what actions you honestly haven't taken and finding a way to take those actions. I would, I would say uh, huzzah to that. I would also say um, belated happy birthday, folks. Well, thank you, sir. Send him a happy birthday, please, in the comment section. <laughs> the, the other thing I would, I would mention uh, before we, we say those those. those, those those magic words. Magic words. Yeah, thank you. I was I was stuck there. Is that you know we we've touched on a few of the the, the categories through which the creative depression can sneak into your life, leak into your life, whatever that may be. Um, create the world you want, though. You know that's you know build that universe that you're trying to create in your writing. Uh, do the time that's necessary. Express and embrace the years that you've spent, whether it's one, two, three years, or thirty or forty years. You know, don't ignore that because that's a part of who you are. Um, be honest. Be real with yourself. Yeah, be real. Be honest about your skill set, too. You know, I've, I've encountered creative people who will not admit that they can't spell worth a damn. Well, you know, get over that. If you want to really be accepted as a professional, then work on that. Or get somebody who's going to be great at editing just your spelling mistakes. It won't change the tone of your work. But download an app that helps with yeah, that. Yeah, whatever it takes. <laughs> but, you know, recognize I don't do this part well and it's holding me back. Right. Do that. No encouragement from the people around you. Find better people. Okay? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a reality yeah. right there. You know, if, if you can't get that kind of support and you need it, <clears throat> find it elsewhere. Uh, another one is practice and habits. Okay. Uh, like Chris says, you know, uh, writing an hour a day. Okay. Promise yourself that. Give yourself permission to hone your craft, to explore your craft. Uh, don't, also, don't accept yeah. no. If you say to yourself, I can't find an hour, then find out what you can. Exactly. You can break it into three parts, 20 minutes each. You know, So you yeah, do 20 yeah. minutes here, 20 minutes here. Riding on a train, don't do it while you're driving unless you're no. using a recorder. Because, Chris, yeah. yes, we both do that I, sometimes. I, we've both done that. Yeah. yeah, so, okay, but there's always a way, all right? So develop a habit that supports your desire to create. Um, another one is rejection. Okay, Chris, you just mentioned about that. Haven't been rejected 13 times. I hope you aren't rejected well, 13 times. But if you are, deal with it. And look at, and this is a hard thing. It's a hard thing, especially when you're starting out. <clears throat> look at the rejection. 
look at what they're saying and see if it is just a yeah not interested or be, there's something about how you approach your 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 setup or your suspense or whatever if they're giving you an actual constructive criticism that you can explore that you can investigate you can look at and say yeah if i well let me try blah 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 see if you can use that rejection to help move you forward uh, and then the, the last thing I'll, I'll point out well, here. Remember, I would add one thing. Joe mm-hmm. R. Lansdale would post, you know, he'd put his, hang up his rejection letters. And they were, each one was one more closer to the yes. There you go. There's That's another a good way of interpreting. That's a mindset. Rejection. That's a different mindset. That's yeah. Mindset. Okay. And, and that gets to lack of faith, um, which nice segue there, Chris. You didn't even know I was going there. Um, Ta-da. You know, it's. We can believe something about ourselves and be totally wrong. You know, <laughs> you know that's, that's a reality. That's a part of real life. So being honest with yourself is definitely necessary. But that doesn't mean that you can't have faith in yourself, that you can't have faith in your goals. If you have, and someone, I forget who it was who said this, um, a goal without a plan is a dream. You know? What you know, hmm, hmm, I wish I could remember who said it, uh, but I remember it, and that is the truth. You have something you really want to go for. What's the plan? Don't just stumble around in the dark. You believe that you want to tell stories, that you want to be a writer, or you want to be a dancer, or you want to be a, a composer, that you want to create. Okay, what's the plan? Yeah. What's the goal? What's the plan to get there? And one of your greatest assets is that phone you have or the Google, or the even if we're going old school, even the library, if you don't have those things, and you're still listening to this podcast somehow, God bless you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could go to the library and get on Google and get and find the information you need, the, the hows and uh, uh, guideposts have never been more available to us. I would even, you can do this. Yeah, I would even add to that. I'm glad you mentioned libraries because that's an atmosphere. That's mm-hmm. another thing that you know. Chris and I both have had conversations about. Remember, we've even recorded some of our our different uh, podcasts from different places. Both as as writers, we can work in our homes in a quiet little corner in our house and whatever. But I sometimes go to a, a diner. And I write. I sometimes will go to a, a bar or a restaurant. I'll go to the park. Um, I'll sometimes go to a library. I'll go to um, a major event because sometimes the energy or the atmosphere of that place inspires or influences me. And it causes whatever I'm trying to work on to flow out a little bit easier. Or it gives me ideas and I'm jotting them down. So a library, yeah, people say, oh, well, who needs it now that we've got Google? You know what? It's an atmosphere. It's a totally different, you're surrounded by stories and information and people who are there to experience it. And that's a totally different atmosphere from typing away in the basement of your mother's house. So that's, that's all I have to say today. I have one, one last thing. Oh, go for it then. If, we hope, we hope from the bottom of our hearts that this episode has been helpful to those who need to hear these things. But if it doesn't help, if you're still depressed, if you can't get over that mountain, go and talk to somebody. Mm. There are services available. Um, there, There's a friend. There's the local holy man. There's, you know, um, health services. Don't keep it bottled up. Don't self-medicate. You know, uh, sometimes a walk in the sun is enough, but if it isn't, go and talk to somebody. It will help you. And you'll tell your damn story to them, and it'll help, <laughs> it'll help tell your damn story to the public. Uh, nice, nicely done there, Chris. Nicely done. <laughs> I know, folks, we, you know, we're both very sincere about what he said. I was just patting him on the back for that segue. They're very nicely done. Uh, no, we wish you all, you know, nothing but, but success and happiness, um, for sure. And uh, for those of you who have been listening to us a lot, you know, this was episode 79. That's so right. We'll, we'll be episode coming at... 79. We'll be, yeah, we're, 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 we're looking for... The, we're moving towards, rather, the big 100. 
because we're going to like right. set off sparklers and all kinds of things on that day. Yeah. But in but the meantime, you know, you know who else's birthday was yesterday? Who's Batman? He was eighty. So happy birthday to that guy telling his damn story for eighty years. <laughs> eighty years, yeah, telling telling sometimes the same damn story. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but once again, folks, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for you know being there with us. Uh, let us know what you would like to hear from us because you know we we are picking some of these um, topics from our own heads and experiences, but also uh, like last uh, the the one that we We'd did. We'd like where, to pick your head. Well, there's, <laughs> that just sounds so wrong. See, I'm trying to be eloquent here. Yeah. I was going to say that one of our episodes, you know, credit where credit is due, uh, we heard back from uh, the person that we we had been uh, responding to on that, and they were very pleased with it. And as it turns out, um, some of what we said there helped them in terms of dealing with something else that just came up. So, yeah, please, let us know what you think. You know, comments below, email, whatever it takes. Just say howdy and uh, be with us next time for... Tell the damn story. You're damn right. Shut your mouth. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye, Chris. Take care. Peace, everybody. <laughs>